It's time for Coffee Talk, and today my guest is the Chief Executive Officer of the Daily Bread Food Bank, Neil Hetherington. Neil began his career in project management at Tridel Construction, uh, Canada's largest condominium developer. And in September 2000, he made a career change by joining Habitat for Humanity Toronto. And at that time, he was the youngest CEO of the Habitat affiliate in the world. And then Neil joined uh, the Daily Bread Food Bank as CEO in January 2018. Welcome to the show, Neil. Good morning. How are you, Maggie? Good. How are you dealing with the time change? Uh, I will be just fine with it. I think, uh, <laughs> but now, uh, Charlie, my dog, uh, he might, uh, he might, he might uh, keep me up uh, a little later. It's going to screw up his his feeding routine a little bit. But, yeah, uh, he's so cute that he's uh, he's worth it. <laughs> I was going to ask you since this is our coffee talk segment, how many cups of coffee uh, have you drank already? But you sound pretty awake, so I'm sure that you have had no coffee, and this is just natural energy that we are exhibiting right. <laughs> Yeah. There, there is definitely caffeine flowing <laughs> through the bloodstream. <laughs> well, let's get into just getting to know you a little bit better, uh, Neil. What is it about the nonprofit world that interests you? you? You know, I just read just a bit of, uh, you know, your your career resume. Um, so, you know, obviously, there's something about the nonprofit world that uh, that has pulled you in. What what is it that interests you about it? Yeah, the um, uh, it's it's missions that matter most to me. Uh, so, the nonprofit sector, um, first of all, it's much larger than people think across mm-hmm. the uh, across the country. There's some eighty nine thousand charities. All of them have uh, good uh, missions and purposes. And for me, uh, there's there's something that pulls uh, to the alleviation of poverty. And so whether that's through Habitat for Humanity, uh, Dixon Hall, uh, these are these are places that I have had the opportunity to serve. And it's uh, it's difficult work to be to be very candid. Uh, It's difficult work um, because you have to do more with less in a much more transparent uh, way uh, with uh, with community governance oversight. And so the idea that uh, you might be able to make a difference in somebody's life uh, for for the good is incredibly motivating. And it's incredibly challenging from a business perspective because you don't have the resources. You don't have large budgets. Um, Every dollar that you spend, you want to have it go directly into into mission. And so that attracts uh, a creative staff and Every single day um, while I've been at, uh, at the Daily Bread Food Bank, I've, I've uh, counted my blessings to be able to work alongside uh, an incredible staff that uh, push me, motivate me, and inspire me. Yeah, I, I mean, I run uh, a small charity, definitely not the size of the Daily Bread Food Bank, but all of the things that you said, yes, 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 and yes, uh, the feeling of you're never you never feel like you're doing enough because you're meeting people in their, you know, some of the, the hardest times of their life and yet, you know, want to help them as much as you can. And uh, and the constant uh, need for money and resources in order to do that. So what have you learned about people as you see them at one of the hardest times in their lives, be it Habitat or Daily Bread or Dixon Hall? 
Well, I think there's there's much more commonality than than we, we often think. We, we sometimes say that you know uh, you know particularly we often look at the U.S. and say that there's only two camps in the United States: a, a red camp and a blue camp. The reality is no. The, I mean, people are people. They want to uh, be able to live in decent, affordable housing, uh, and, and we did our best through through the Daily Bread. Um, that people are vulnerable and go through really difficult times uh, through circumstance uh, and and through uh, you know individual experiences of their life and they open themselves up. Uh, there is a certain vulnerability when you walk through the door of of a food bank that you have gifted to those volunteers and and, and there's there's some uh, and we need to treat that with respect. And so uh, we have low barrier entry on that front. But I would say, you know, I've had the opportunity to tell uh, probably a couple hundred people um, that they were moving into a new Habitat for May home. Mm. And that, that filled me with, with great joy. And I, it, as I saw their, their eyes and my eyes well up. Um, but I've also seen uh, the uh, relief in a um, single parent when they know that that week they're going to get the right food for, for their children and, uh, and, and the sense of stress that is, is removed from their shoulders. So uh, we all uh, need to, I think, eventually come together and say, what is the best uh, evidence-based way that we can tackle uh, systemic poverty so that everybody can thrive in community? So who's hungry? You release a profile of what hunger looks like in the city. Give us a snapshot of who is hungry in our city today. Well, it's changing. Um, first of all, the overall picture is grim. I don't have the, the, the words to be able to clearly articulate how dire the situation is in the city of Toronto when it comes to food insecurity. Mm -hmm. Uh, three years ago, it, uh, yesterday was the start of the pandemic. And at that month, we served 72,000 uh, clients in, in that month in Toronto. Uh, this month, it's 270,000. Wow. So 70,000 to 270,000. Um, it is bleak in terms of the, uh, the, the picture. Who is coming is a large and growing uh, segment of individuals who are uh, the working poor. They are uh, um, fully employed. Uh, that number doubled year over year. About 35% of people who come to food banks have full-time employment and they can't make ends meet. And they can't do that because of the cost of living, the cost of groceries, the cost of housing. And so they have needed to turn to the Daily Bread Food Bank, and we've been there for them. What are some of the assumptions that, you know, people make about those who might need the help of the food bank? Because, you know, at one point, I, I, I've interviewed you a couple of times for the TV show that I that I um, work on as well. And you have told me that, you know, you have seen that shift of who's coming as you identified the working poor more and more and more. These are people who have jobs and yet still can't make ends meet because the city is getting so much more expensive. But, but I think there are assumptions that we have of who, you know, would seek access to a food bank as well. And, uh, and I think that needs to change. 
Yeah, I, I, you're entirely right. Um, you know, over 50% have uh, a post-secondary education. Wow. Um, they have, and, and so that whole uh, uh, narrative that if you uh, stay in school, you do right, you play by the rules, you work hard, you'll be fine. That narrative isn't true uh, anymore. And and so when you think about individuals who have they've, they've done everything that they said in terms of going on to uh, beyond uh, high school and aren't able to uh, to to make it, 52% of individuals at Fubex. So that's that's one sort of myth I would say out there. Um, another really challenging one for me are the um, individuals in in society who um uh, have a disability mm. so if you are on disability you receive 1229 dollars a month uh from your disability uh, uh plan uh, from the province of ontario the poverty line in toronto is 2100 dollars. so if you are on disability you are legislated to be in poverty for the rest of your life yeah. you are legislated to stay in poverty and, and and that is just fundamentally wrong and uh they are underwater by 900 so so food banks um and one of our the critiques of food banks is are we propping up uh government to be able to do this uh, uh absurd payment and uh, uh and so we are there to, because you can't live in the city of Toronto on $1,200 a month. Um, you know, the average rent for, for a, a studio or a bachelor apartment is some $1,700. Yeah. You are underwater. And, and, and so uh, those on disability, those who have an education um, are still having to come to, uh, to food banks. And we need to change that. And now, Neil, this past week, we saw the heads of the three largest grocery companies in the country testify in front of a government committee. And uh, they say that they're not uh, profiting on uh, Canadians. Um, and, you know, find it interesting in watching, uh, you know, bits of uh, this coverage. Uh, you know, all of them have said, uh, and, you know, specifically, if we look at Galen Weston has said that most of the profits that they've been receiving is through medication and clothing and uh, other things that they sell within uh, within their company and you know, Shoppers Drug Mart and other other um, entities that they have. What do you think as you know, as the head of uh, Daily Bread Food Bank and obviously, you know, there's a lot that's donated to you, but I'm sure that there's a lot of food that you have to purchase as well you're probably feeling the pinch uh, when it comes to the, the price of food on your end. We, we absolutely are. So uh, the Daily Bread used to spend $1.5 million a year on food. We now spend $1.8 million a month on food. <gasps> Remember, that the, the, the number of individuals who wow. have come to food banks on a monthly basis has increased from 70000 to 270000 And so it has been very, very difficult. Say now, that again for me, Neil. I, I think that needs to resonate with our <sighs> listeners. Or, can you just repeat those numbers again? We, we, the Daily Bread Food Bank has gone from spending $1.5 million a year on food to $1.8 million a month on food. Wow. That is to support the 270,000 client visits that we're experiencing every month, up from 70,000. Now, we don't purchase food from uh, you know any of those large grocery stores. Okay. Um, 
so we will get food direct from wholesalers. We do, we do receive, uh, uh, we have minor partnerships with them to pick up uh, food at different stores, but it's, it's almost, it's insignificant in mm. terms of the amount of food that, uh, that we receive. Um, and so uh, I'm not an expert in, uh, in their finances. Um, I will say that uh, we at The Daily Bread are an opportunity for uh, each of those chains to give back to the community. And we would uh, uh, love that opportunity uh, for them to relieve themselves of some of those uh, profits <laughs> uh, and make sure that they go back into the, into the, the community. Um, but I do think that we need to, as a country, be very careful about signal, sig signaling out one entity. Um, one part of a supply chain. I think that can be very dangerous. And, and what we can do through that is actually uh, develop a heightened sense of, uh, uh, we, can, we can politic uh, uh, a, a much greater systemic challenge. Um, and, uh, and, and we'd have to question things throughout the supply chain. So I, not just at the end, where we feel it, where we see it, where the, where the votes go in and see it. Uh, and so I think we've got to be uh, careful on uh, on that front. Um, and uh, and I do think that we need to tackle the problem not at the uh, at, at this level, but why is it that there are so few Canadians who are resilient enough to be able to deal with food inflation as we've seen it? So food inflation is about 11 and a half percent. That means for the uh, a, a typical person, you're spending, you're spending about $50 a month more on food than you typically would. And, uh, and why is it that that $50 change uh, is uh, you're not able to, we are not able to, to handle that. I know with my own grocery bill, it's, it's, it's much more difficult. And, uh, and so uh, that's the area and that boils down to income inequality, uh, income security, affordable housing, the systemic causes uh, that make us a little bit more resilient to these acute shocks that we see uh, in the system versus targeting uh, uh, and I think politicking the uh, 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 um, some corporate entities. You're absolutely right, Neil. I mean, there are so many layers and nuances to this whole conversation. Uh, you know, be it when you look at, you know, the municipalities that we live in and how much is invested into, uh, you know, supportive housing and and uh, those that are street involved and, you know, the price of, of the cost of, of living, all of those things. And then it goes up, you know, provincial, federal, for sure. But, you know, you hit the nail on the head. At the end of the day, uh, when we see, you know, chicken breasts for $40, you know, on, on sale at Loblaws for $40, that is a direct link. And we could, you know, and I mean, I know that the, the heads of the largest grocery stores have also blamed suppliers and the supply chain as well. But at the end of the day, it's like there are so many uh, battles and there are so many fights that, you know, when you go to a grocery store and you see $40 for chicken breast, you're like, and, and you know that, you know, in the, you know, that, that these companies are, are making a lot of a, a lot of profit at the end of the day. That's, that's just hard to digest. It's hard to swallow. Um, and, and they do get the brunt of the criticism because, 
we all go grocery shopping. We all have to face uh, the increase, you know, of tomatoes and and just and basic things, right? Like we're seeing even people um, stealing food uh, just to get by. So it, it's just such a, a complex issue. But I agree with you. There are so many levels to it for sure. And I think if you look at, you know, if you go right up the supply chain, we have we have a, an unjust system when it comes to migrant food workers in 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 yep. southern Ontario. Yeah. Um, and and you know, if we really believe in a uh, an open economy, then I think at some point we need to uh, to ask ourselves why we're allowing uh, um, essentially government subsidized. Uh, inexpensive labor to come into the country um, versus allowing the marketplace to adjust the wages for people that are uh, you know picking the fruits and vegetables uh, in in Ontario yeah and uh, and and you know that's if we believe in a free market which which I do um, then I think we need to adjust those wages to ones that are appropriate um, for uh, uh, for the individual workers uh, rather than importing cheap labor <clears throat> and uh, and not uh, providing them with access to uh, to full protections that uh, that we would expect of any worker in the uh, province. Absolutely. Neil, I think you need to run for mayor. Just, you know, just a little <laughs> suggestion there. Uh, thank you so much for your time today, Neil. Really, really appreciate Maggie, you being on Coffee Talk. Thank you so much uh, for, for this conversation. It's really important right now.